Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. Well, John chapter 15, that's where we're going to be this morning. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, open it up or turn it on and meet me in John 15. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, don't worry about that. There's one underneath a chair nearby. Find that. It's a black hardback copy of God's Word. You can keep that, by the way, if you don't have a copy, a personal copy of God's Word. Take that home with you. That's our gift to you. And if you're using that particular copy, page 848 will get you right to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. If you are familiar with this gospel, if you've read through the book of John, if you're just looking at the heading there right at the beginning, you know where we're going. I am the true vine. Before we read this particular paragraph, I'm wondering this morning, is there something in your life that you just cannot live without? Like it's a non-negotiable for you. Like where are my caffeine people, my coffee drinkers, my Mountain Dewers, my Monster Drinkers, right? Some of you, it would be dangerous to meet you in the morning prior to your caffeine intake, right? You just got to have it. And then somewhere around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you got to have another like intake of caffeine to get you over that slump and to get you through the rest of your day. For some of us, like caffeine is a non-negotiable. I, I just can't live without it. I wouldn't know how to operate. I wouldn't know how to function without it. How about the internet? Connectivity. I mean, think about how many things we do because of our connectivity. We're shopping on our phones. We're, 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 we're planning our trips on our phones. We're navigating to our destinations on our phones. We're doing our banking on our phones. I mean, where would we be without Jesus? We sang that a moment ago. But where would we be without internet, right? If you've ever done any international traveling, I've, I've had the opportunity a couple of times to travel internationally. And man, when you land and when you touch down in, in some place that doesn't have Verizon and all of a sudden you don't have connectivity, you're scrambling to find that coffee shop, find that hot spot. Like, how do we live without that type of connectivity? Amy and I are Amazon primers. How did we survive in a world of five to seven business days of shipping? Like, like how did we even make it waiting that long? Some of us don't even want to go down the road to Target. We just want to go on our phones and like in two days shipping, some days, some days even less. I kid you not, I woke up this morning, I have mismatched uh, no-show socks on right now because I couldn't find two that match. So as I'm walking down the stairs after putting on my mismatched no-show socks, I get on my phone on my way to my breakfast to eat my oatmeal and I go on Amazon and I order no-show socks. They're going to arrive by tomorrow. Like, we don't even know how to live a life apart from these type of luxuries and these type of things. We Arizonans understand what it means that we could not survive in the desert without our 40-ounce Stanley Cups and our hydro flasks. Like, we need water. We need hydration. We had friends visiting from out of town last week, and they had been in Arizona for about two days, and they were already saying things like, man, I'm just a little tired. My mouth's really dry. We're like, hey, you're dehydrated. Welcome to the desert. What in your life is a non-negotiable? What in your life would you not be able to function? Would you not be able to live without having that? What Jesus is going to teach us today in John 15 is that he is a non-negotiable. 
It is quite literally a matter of life or death, fruit-bearing or barrenness, to try to live apart from a life attached to Jesus. Now, we have some work to do today, so I want to set you up. We're going to get to lots of application. We're going to dig into John 15, but we need to kind of journey into the Old Testament in order to understand what we're reading here in John 15. So I want to start in John 15, but then we're going to journey back, and we're going to do a little bit of digging so that we can understand what Jesus is talking about when he says, I am the true vine. He's got something in his mind when he says that. Look at John 15 with me. We're going to read our paragraph here. Verse 1, we're going to stop at verse 8. Really, the content of this continues uh, really down through verse 17. But we're going to stop at verse 8. Beginning in verse 1, Jesus is speaking here and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already, speaking to these disciples, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Immediately you get the sense that if he is the true, which means the real and genuine vine, that there must also be some alternative. There must also be some false vine or some failed vine, and there is. And as we interpret Scripture and as we have our high view of Scripture like we do here at City Point Church, we must allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. You see, this passage cannot mean for me what it did not mean for them. It it may apply in ways that are slightly different, but it cannot mean something for me that it did not mean for them. And so we must allow the Scripture to interpret what Jesus is saying here when he's saying, I am the true vine. There are several Old Testament passages that talk about the vine, but there is one that comes out as the clear winner when it comes to John 15, and that's the book of Ezekiel. Because in the book of Ezekiel, in the Greek translation of that Hebrew Bible known as the Septuagint, there are eight words and two phrases that are identical to John chapter 15, which which is far more than the other passages in Jeremiah and Isaiah that are talking about a vine. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, and and as he continues through this paragraph, he clearly has the book of Ezekiel in his mind. So... Let's go to the book of Ezekiel. I'm going to put it on the screen just in case you can't navigate and maybe find it in the Old Testament. You're welcome to turn there if you'd like. But I want to read two passages that help us to give context and understanding to what Jesus is saying here when he says, I am the true vine. The first is Ezekiel 15, verses, well, really it's the whole chapter, 1 through 8. I want you to listen and see if you can see some of the parallels between what is said in the Old Testament here and what Jesus just said in John 15. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. How does the wood of the vine surpass any wood? The vine branch that is among the trees of the forest, is wood taken from it to make anything? 
Do people take a peg from it, from the vine, to hang any vessel on it? Behold, it's given to the fire for fuel. When the fire has consumed both ends of it and the middle of it is charred, it is, is it useful for anything? He's comparing the vine to all other woods and he's saying, essentially, the vine in and of itself is of very little use, if any. And then once it's put in, into the fire, it's of even less use. He says in verse 5, Behold, when it was whole, it was used for nothing. How much less when the fire has consumed it and it is charred, can it be used for anything? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so have I given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We're starting to get some context here. And I will set my face against them. Though they escape from the fire, the fire shall yet consume them. And you will know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. And I will make the land desolate. And here's why. Because they have acted faithlessly, declares the Lord God. Now, two chapters later, Ezekiel 17, I'll put this up on the screen for you as well. Again, this is all context because this context is feeding what Jesus is saying in John 15. This is what he has in mind. God is going to speak a parable. The word of the Lord came to me, verse 1. Son of man, propound a riddle and speak a parable to the house of Israel. Say, thus says the Lord God, a great eagle with great wings and long pinions, rich in plumage and of many colors, came to Lebanon and took the top of the cedar. He broke off the topmost of its young twigs and carried it to a land of trade and set it in a city of merchants. Then he took of the seed of the land and planted it in fertile soil. He placed it beside abundant waters. He set it like a willow twig and it sprouted, here it is, and became a low spreading vine. And its branches turned toward him, this eagle in this parable, and its roots remained where it stood, so it became a vine and produced branches and put out bows. And there was another great eagle with great wings and much plumage, and behold, this vine bent its roots toward him, this second, this other eagle, and shot forth its branches toward him from the bed where it was planted that he might water it. It had been planted on good soil by abundant waters that it might produce branches and bear fruit and become a noble vine. Say, thus says the Lord God, will it thrive? Will he not pull up its roots, cut off its fruit so that it withers, so that all its fresh sprouting leaves wither? It will not take a strong arm or many people to pull it from its roots. Behold, it is planted. Will it thrive? Will it not utterly wither when the east wind strikes it, wither away on the bed? where it is sprouted. Now what's going on here? In the book of Ezekiel, the vine is the Davidic dynasty, the line, the kingly line from David. These kings through which the ultimate king was supposed to come, and this vine in Ezekiel has failed. Because the branches in the book of Ezekiel represent the very people of Israel. And what's happening in this parable, this story with, with the two eagles, is that the first eagle plants this vine, and that eagle represents Yahweh, the God of Israel. But the other eagle comes along, which is a false god, and the other gods. And what's happening is these branches are changing their allegiance from the God, the, the first eagle of Israel, to these other gods. So when Jesus comes along and he says in John chapter 15, I am the true vine. He's saying, I am not like the failed vine of the Davidic line, those kings who were not faithful in pointing the people of Israel toward the one true God, Yahweh. Jesus is saying, I am the real vine. I am not like the failed vine. I have come to fix and to replace what has been failed 
in the past. And now the branches in John 15, that's those of us who have by faith trusted in the true vine. And so we are now connected to Jesus, and as a result, there is fruitfulness. You see, in the book of Ezekiel, there was not fruitfulness because they were faithless. They had turned their allegiance away from the first eagle and given their allegiance to the second eagle, representing the other gods of this world. But those of us who have by faith trusted in Jesus, we are now bearing fruit because we are connected to the true vine. Now that's the backstory. We went a little bit deep so that we can go wide and make application here this morning. But here's our big idea. Every week we give a big idea so that you can help, help, helps maybe to give some clarity and some understanding to the overarching theme of this particular text. Here's the big idea. Fruitful Christians are attached to Jesus. Fruitful Christians are attached to Jesus. Now, I'm afraid that many Christians have come to believe that Jesus is negotiable. That somehow we can live and we can survive and maybe even thrive with this semi-attachment to Jesus. Well, I need Jesus on Sunday, so I'm going to go to church, but Monday through Saturday, I think I'm good. I can handle the rest of that on my own. Well, man, I definitely need God when, when, when the going gets tough and things get hard and, and I'm feeling the pressure of life. But you know, when everything's going pretty easy, I'm going to fly solo on this one. And too many times we, we, be, we become okay with Jesus being somewhat negotiable in our life. Like I can maybe sometimes have him, but other times it's okay if I just sort of do this on my own. But not only is attachment to Jesus the only way to eternal life, attachment to Jesus is also the only way to everyday life. Yes, attachment to Jesus is how we have an eternal relationship with God, but attachment to Jesus is how we also navigate everyday living. Living detached from Jesus is like trying to survive in Arizona without your 40-ounce Stanley cup. It's not going to happen. Good luck. You're going to get dehydrated. You're going to wither. But attachment to Jesus, that's when we start seeing that fruit and bearing out the evidence of the person of Christ at work in our life. So fruitful Christians are attached to Jesus. So the question becomes, how do I know that I am attached to Jesus? There are four evidences, and they're going to come right from John 15. We might reference back to Ezekiel, but our main text here is John 15, and there are four evidences found right in this text that we are attached to Jesus. It's going to look like this. I know I'm attached when... Number one, I know I am attached when I flourish from faithful pruning. When I flourish from faithful pruning. I want you to see this in verse 2 of our text. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So there are two types of branches right here in this verse. There are fruitless branches and there are fruit-bearing branches. So the fruitless branches, well, what are these? Well, he further explains this in verse 6. If you look down in our text to verse 6, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now the book of Ezekiel must inform what's going on here. 
because there's some misunderstanding. Sometimes people believe that this is maybe apostate Christians, those who've de- defected from, uh, deflected from the faith, or maybe uh, these Christians who've been in church for a little while and then they become backslidden, so to speak. But that's not what Jesus is speaking about here. See, to be fruitless is to be detached. And we understand that from the book of Ezekiel, because in Ezekiel 15, what we read a moment ago, God says, Therefore thus says the Lord, like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so have I given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And then he says, why? Because they have acted faithlessly. You see, it's not a lack of fruit, it's a lack of faith. It's a matter of allegiance. They have turned from the one eagle that represents Yahweh to the other eagles which represent the the gods of this world. They have acted faithlessly. So it's not a matter of, well, I've kind of stopped bearing some fruit in my life, so I need to reattach to Jesus. Attachment to Jesus is, is an eternal connection. When you are attached, you are forever attached. It's never something that you can lose. So you could say, based on Jesus' teaching here, that there is no such thing as a fruitless Christian. To be fruitless means that you are not attached. But to be attached means that you will bear fruit. And that's the second type of branch that he talks about in verse 2. Fruitful branches are pruned. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Pruning. Now, at first glance, this feels a little counterintuitive. Like, Jesus, why not just let the fruit grow? There's fruit here. Why would you prune the fruit? Well, because God is not just interested in today's harvest, but there is more fruit to be born, and there are some things in our life that may, they may not be bad in and of themselves, but they may be sapping and tapping into some of that nutrition that God wants to flow into other areas of our life, and so he's going to prune. There are four pruning operations of a vine dresser, and as I read these, think to yourself, does this sound like something that God is doing in your life right now? The first operation is that a vine dresser will remove growing tips that are growing too fast. The second operation is that a vine dresser will cut off one to two feet from the end of shoots so that they are not snapped in the wind. They've just grown too far. They've grown too fast. They don't have strength. They're going to snap off, and so the vine dresser will prune those. The third operation of a vine dresser is that a vine dresser will prune off some clusters of fruit so that the remaining clusters will grow fuller and healthier. And the fourth operation of a vine dresser is that the vine dresser will remove what are called suckers to improve the strength and the integrity of the vine. Now, I googled what are suckers, and I found on a vineyard website that something, there's something called suckering, which is the removing of these suckers. And based on this website, it says this, quote, removing, suckering is removing weak, sick, or poorly located vine shoots to make room for healthy shoots to fully develop. Do you you sense right now that maybe in your life there's a little bit of pruning? And it may not even be super comfortable. The snipping, the trimming, the work of the vine dresser in your life seems to be removing some things and you're looking at those things saying, God, that looks like fruit. Like that looks like what should be growing. Why do I feel like you're taking that away? Because he wants us to flourish. You see, connection to the vine, you know that you are connected because there is a flourishing, but that flourishing is taking place because of the faithful pruning 
of the vine dresser. God is the loving vine dresser. He is personally and intimately involved in the details of your life. He's snipping, he's trimming, he's watering, he's nurturing in order that your life might bear more fruit that would bring him greater glory. And then Jesus in verse 3 looks right at the disciples and he says, Already you are clean. That word clean comes from the same word that, that he uses for the word prune. In other words, he's saying to these disciples, you are not like the unfaithful branches of Ezekiel. Already you you are pruned. Already you are clean. You have put faith and allegiance in the branch. And he says, you are pruned because of the word that I have spoken to you. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so he reassures these disciples that they will not be taken away. I know that I am attached Number one, when I flourish from faithful pruning. But number two, I know I'm attached when I grow through continual connection. These are the next two verses. Look at it in our text, verses 4 and 5. He says, abide in me and I in you. Those are some of the most dynamic words in all of the book of John. Abide in me and I in you. Then he continues, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Then he says very succinctly here, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus makes it very clear that the bearing of fruit in our life comes because we are attached to this vine and there is this continual connection. And as we stay continually connected to that branch, there is growth happening in our life. I want to sit in that phrase, abide in me and I in you. Can we just stop and recognize how life-altering and eternity-changing and everyday metamorphing that phrase is? Your life is forever changed because not only does he, not only do you abide in him, but he abides in you. Jesus says, abide in me, which means that I am welcome to make my home in Christ. That means that his death and resurrection have been eternally credited to my account, which means that I am secure in his insatiable love But also, not only do I get to abide in Christ and in his finished work for me, but now he has also come to make his home in me. He is abiding in me. And now through his spirit, I have immediate and constant access to the very presence of God, which means that I have a dynamic relationship with God. He is speaking to me. He is ministering to me. He is communing with me. He is walking with me. There is not a step that you will take this week that will be apart from the presence of God. He goes with you. If you are his child, not only do you abide in him and and in his finished and complete work, but he abides in you. He has made his home inside of you. You are now his dwelling place and his temple. And so it is only through this connection, this ingress, egress, I am abiding in him, he is abiding in me, This connection, it is only through this connection that we are growing and that we are bearing fruit that is evidence of that connection. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. How much nothing did we do this week? In other words, how many things did we accomplish apart from the connection? 
We accomplished some things, yes. We succeeded in some things, yes. We got some things done, but if we did it apart from that connection and that abiding relationship with Christ, Jesus is saying that essentially amounts to nothing. Because you did it in your own strength rather than through an abiding relationship with me. Ladies, you no doubt enjoy when your husband or your boyfriend or that significant other comes to you and gives to you that bouquet of flowers. But there is something that that bouquet of flowers will never do. It will never produce more flowers. Because the production of the flowers, the production of of that fruit, so to speak, is because of the connection. And now that you have that beautiful bouquet, it has been disconnected. And so enjoy the flowers while they last. But you will not get any more new flowers. Because it's through that connection that those flowers are being produced. And so Jesus says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now I want to address a misconception when it comes to abiding. The misconception is that Jesus is going to do all the work. I'm just going to kind of sit back on my lazy boy and like Jesus is just going to flow into me and pour into me and all this great stuff. But the connection that we have to Christ, it is an active attachment. We are involved in this, just as Paul says in Philippians, work out your own salvation. Work out what is being worked in. It is an active attachment. This past summer, our family took a trip to Pagosa Springs, and we spent most of the time just floating down the San Juan River. And one particular day, we had our tubes. We drove up, further up the river. We parked the car. We got into the river. It was, it was me and Amy. It was the four boys. And we start floating down that river. Well, one of my boys says to me, Dad, can I attach to your tube? I'm, All right, you can attach to my tube. So he ties his little string, his little rope to the string on my tube, and we're floating down the river. But you have to understand something about that particular spot on the river. It was full of jagged rocks. It was full of rapids. And so I was very clear when that son of mine attached to me. I said, son, this is an active attachment. You're not just floating along for the ride. This isn't me trying to avoid all of, the, all of the rocks and try to get through all of these rapids while you just kind of enjoy the ride floating along behind me. This is an active attachment. You and I are going to work together to get down this river. And when we attached to Jesus by faith, that became an active attachment. It's not just that he's pouring into us although he is. But we are now, because of what he is pouring into us, now going and living differently because of that connection. It's through this continual connection that we see growth in our lives. We might wonder this morning, what does active attachment look like in the life of a Christian? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be anything new. It's not going to be something that I probably haven't already shared from this stage. It's probably not something that you haven't already heard shared maybe in a life group or read in a book somewhere or even learned from the scriptures. But what does it look like to be actively attached to Jesus? It looks like pursuing a relationship with him. And could I just say this morning, start where you are. As soon as you start to pursue a relationship with Jesus, Satan's going to come at you with some lies. He's going to start to try to communicate to you that you need, in order for you to have a pursuing relationship with Jesus, that your relationship with Jesus needs to look like that other person's relationship with Jesus across the room. Or that somehow you've got to have it all put together like it seems to, to appear to be in church on Sundays. Just start where you are. 
Don't overcomplicate what that means. Spend time in his word. Spend time listening to him. Active attachment is you sitting alone with God. Praying, abiding, listening. Active attachment to Jesus means practicing confession and repentance. Let's not pretend like we have it all together. Confession and repentance are gifts of grace that God gives to us. Active attachment is when we are engaging with the community around us, our gospel community. You see, you help me learn what it means to abide. As I see what God is doing in your life, and as I learn of the things that God is teaching you in your life, you are actually helping me in my relationship, in my active relationship, to abide with Christ. So actively attaching to Jesus is simply going to his word, spending time in prayer, engaging in community, allow, allowing the spirit of God to speak and to minister to you and through you, making a home with Christ, abiding in him. And the result, Jesus says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now, some of us grew up in church cultures that had fruit requirement lists. And if you were going to serve in any capacity, if you were going to lead in any capacity, if you were going to in any way be seen as a Christian who was growing, then you were going to live up to the fruit requirement list. And if at any time you stopped manifesting the evidence that was listed on that particular list, somebody might come to you. And maybe there was a moment of intervention in your life. Or maybe you were asked to step down and you could no longer serve because you no longer meet the fruit requirement list. But church, there's a problem with churches that have fruit requirement lists. And here's what it is. Christians get really good at manufacturing fruit. And I use that word purposefully. Because they get used to producing and manufacturing through their own strength what's on that list. Like, this is what's expected of me, so this is what I'm going to do. But they, they become really lousy at abiding in Christ. So they know how to put on the show, and they know how to look good, and they know how to make sure that the leadership and the pastors and the life group leader is okay with them because there's nothing apparently wrong with their life because they check all the boxes on the fruit requirement list. But they don't really know how to abide with Christ. They don't know how to sit alone with him and allow what he desires to do in their life to actually bear the fruit that he intends to be visible in their life. And can I just say, can I just give us permission this morning that what God is doing and what God is producing in your life may be different than what God is doing and producing in my life, and that's okay. In other words, the fruit that you are producing may look a little different from the fruit that I'm producing right now because God's just doing something different in our lives. But I can tell you this, that the source of the fruit in your life and my life and the reason for the fruit in your life and my life will always be the same. And it will be because of the connection. We are connected to Christ. And therefore, because of the connection to Christ, he is producing evidence organically and naturally in our life. So it's not because somebody came to you and said, now hang on a second, you've been coming to church for a couple of weeks now. Let me tell you the things you need to stop doing and let me tell you the things you need to start doing. That's not happening. You know what's happening? All of a sudden you're just sensing. Huh. The stuff I've been doing, that just doesn't seem to be what brings glory to God. The stuff I've been saying, I just don't think that's the stuff that Christians usually say. 
And you, you know who's not telling you those things? Me. You know who is telling you those things? The Spirit of Christ. And that's what it looks like to be in, a, in an abiding relationship through this continual connection. Growth is happening. Fruit is being produced. I know I am attached when I grow through continual connection. But number three, I know I'm attached when I pray with informed confidence. Look at verse 7 of our text. He says, Jesus is continuing, If you abide in me, notice the next phrase, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, this is not genie in a bottle. This is not rub the lamp, and your wish is my command, and you've got three of them. Jesus, if you will, puts a little bit of a condition on this. He's saying, if you abide in me, but then he also says, if my words abide in you. In other words, you are being informed by my words. You are being informed by my character and my will. The word that is used for words, plural, in this particular verse is different from when John typically speaks about the word in the book of John. And the word that he uses here is speaking about specifically the teachings of Jesus. Because through the teachings of Jesus, he was manifesting the character of God. And so he's saying, the more that my teachings and the more that my word abides in you, the, the greater you will be informed as you pray. And then when you pray, you will ask whatever you want because you will be asking according to my will and my desires, and I'm going to do it. Praying with informed prayers means that what we pray and how we pray is being shaped by the very character and words of Christ. Sometimes Amy will send me to the grocery store to pick up some items. I have vented about this in church before, but this is a sidebar. I know my way around Lowe's. I do not know my way around Sprouts. I don't think it, I don't think it was a man who organized Sprouts, but regardless of that, that's a sidebar. She will send me to Sprouts, and I love her, so I will willingly go and meander and wander and hope that I find everything on the list. But she is kind enough to give me a list. Because I'm going to that store for her. There are some things that she needs, and so she gives me a list. Well, inevitably, I get to Sprouts, and I look at the list, and it will say something like onions. And so I will text her, what kind of onions? There are red ones, there are yellow ones, there are white ones, and she'll text me back, white. And then I'll say, how many? Because I don't want to have to come back and try to find the onions again if I only get one and she wants two. And she'll text me back, two. Well, then I look back at the list, and it says cheese. <laughs> Folks, do you realize how many options of cheese are at the grocery store? So I will text her again, and I will say, what kind of cheese? And she will tell me. And then I'll say, do you want the block cheese, or do you want the shredded cheese? And she'll say the shredded cheese. And then I'll say, do you want 8 ounces or 16 ounces? And she'll say, I want 8 ounces. I want to be informed in what I'm getting because I'm going for her. And when we pray with, when we pray informed prayers, we realize it's not about my will being done. It's about the Father's will being done. So allowing his word to be in us is like saying, God, what do you want? I'm not praying these prayers just for me. I'm praying these prayers for your will to be done and for your kingdom to, to come and for your glory to be seen. And so allow the word of God, the words of Christ, the teachings of him, and the very characters, of, the character of Christ to abide in you. Being informed and praying informed prayers is not that you are fully even informed about your situation. Maybe you don't even know what to pray. 
but it's about fully being informed by the very words of Christ. One of the most powerful things you can do when you pray is to pray the scriptures. Just pray through some of the Psalms. Pray through the word of God because you are allowing his words to abide in you as you pray. So in chapter 14 of John, earlier in this conversation that we're picking up in verse 15, Jesus would say to the, said to the, to the disciples, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The idea of in my name is my words are abiding in you. My will is being done through this answer. Because God wants your prayers aligned with his heart. He wants your prayers aligned with his heart. And when they are, when your prayers are aligned with the character of Christ and the words of Christ and the will of the Father, then he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Jesus is saying, I trust you. You will ask for whatever you want, but I know that because my words are abiding in you, I trust you to ask for those things that are according to my will and that will bring me glory in your life. And when we start praying like this, this is when we go from praying to interceding. I wonder this morning, do we understand the difference between praying and interceding? Praying, if praying is seeking the hand of God, interceding is seeking the heart of God. If praying is asking, interceding is begging. If praying is spending a few minutes with God, interceding is losing track of time with God. If praying is fighting the battle from the command center, then interceding is fighting the battle from the front line. And when we start to allow the words of Christ to abide in us as we are praying, we go from praying to interceding because now it's not about just seeking his hand, but it's about understanding his heart. Maturity, confidence, and power in our praying comes the more we allow who Jesus is, which is his character, and the words that he has spoken to abide in us and inform our praying. This past week, a group of ladies gathered in a home to pray. They gathered for a prayer meeting. I grew up going to prayer meeting. It was Wednesday night church. Prayer meeting for me growing up typically consisted of the same three or four people giving the same general requests and one person praying, and then we were sent on our merry way. But when these ladies gathered this past week for pray, that was not the intention. They gathered and they sang. They gathered and they opened the scriptures and they read and they were informed by the character of God and then they prayed. And they did one round of praying and then they did another round of praying. And then they would pray over one individual for some specific needs and then they would go to another person and pray over somebody else for some specific needs because they weren't just praying, they were interceding. And that kind of prayer meeting, which by the way went for several hours, and was not, nobody was, was quick to leave. Nobody was hasty to get out of there because they were meeting with God. That kind of praying is informed from abiding as we dwell with him. Church, we got to slow down. We got to slow down with God. We want this microwavable just real quick. I'm going to pop this one in the oven and pray this prayer and I'm going to get something hot from God about 30 seconds later. Slow down. It's time to be with our creator. It's time for his word to abide in us, and it's time for us to abide in him. 
And as we slow down and spend time with him and our prayers are informed, all of a sudden we get this permission, ask whatever you want and it will be done. I trust you to pray the right prayers because you have been abiding in my presence. I know I am attached when I pray with informed confidence. But then finally this morning, in our last verse, I know I'm attached when I glorify by fruit bearing. When I glorify by fruit bearing, verse 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove and so demonstrate that you are my disciples, that you are truly attached to the vine. Fruit is not about me. We live in this westernized world. It's crept into the way that we think in church. The Western way of thinking is, what's in it for me? Sure, I'll switch to your cell phone uh, company so long as you pay my fee and give me a, a new iPhone. Like, what's in it for me? But that starts to creep into the way that we think about church. Sure, I'll go to church so long as it fixes my marriage. Sure, I'll go to church so long as it cleans up my kids and they turn out okay. Sure, I'll go to that life group so long as it meets on the right day in the right location with the right people. Sure, I'll give so long as there's some return on that investment. I'll serve so long as there's something in it for me. What we're saying is, I'll bear fruit so long as I get to enjoy the fruit. But the fruit's not about me. The fruit's about the Father. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. The fruit that your life is producing, while you will no doubt benefit from it, it is not ultimately about you. And one way to determine if what your life is producing is an evidence of your own strength or your, the evidence of you being attached to the vine is asking this question, does it glorify the Father? Does this relationship glorify God? Does the life choice that I am making, this lifestyle decision that I am pursuing, does it glorify God? This response or this reaction to this situation, does it glorify God? And if the answer is no, then that is not a result of abiding in the vine. That is a result of our own strength. And some people come to John 15 and they want to obsess over what's the fruit. What is the fruit? Is the, is the fruit winning people to Jesus? Is the fruit a life of righteous living? Is the fruit Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit? And I think we're missing the point when we study this, trying to figure out what's the fruit. Because when we focus on fruit, we, we ask the question, what do I need to do? And when we ask the question, what do I need to do? We start reverting to those fruit requirement lists. We start to look to ourselves to manufacture the fruit, because, well, I need to do this, so I'm going to go do that. Rather than understanding that what Jesus is saying, the point that he's trying to make is apart from me, you can do nothing. There is no fruit at all apart from attachment to Christ. So I believe the emphasis that Jesus is trying to make is abide, and when you abide, the Father is glorified. Paul is one of the writers of the New Testament. As a matter of fact, he writes the majority of, or the great majority of the New Testament, and often in his letters that he would write to churches, he would put these benedictions. And they all have this theme of the glory of God. Listen to this one in Romans eleven thirty six: For from him, and through him, and to him, 
are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Can that be said about your life? From him, through him, and then back to him. This abiding relationship is producing a glorification of the Father. That is what Christ has come to do. That is why we stay connected, and that is what true connection produces. We glorify through fruit-bearing. So here's that big idea again. Faithful Christians are attached to Jesus. We are attached to him. Attachment to Jesus is a non-negotiable. We cannot live apart from that attachment. There are eternal ramifications, but there are also everyday ramifications. To be detached from Jesus means that you have not put faith in him, but to not continue and, and have an active relationship through that attachment means that now I am trying to live my life through my own strength. You may have found a trick to surviving in Arizona without 40 ounces of water, but you will never find a trick to living a life of abundance apart from attachment to Jesus. And you may go to every and any other source to try to find that, but friends, hear Christ's words this morning. Apart from him, we can do nothing. There is no production of fruit apart from the attachment to Jesus. So I know I'm attached when I flourish from faithful pruning. Don't resist the pruning. It might be uncomfortable. It may not make sense at all times, but the, the, the vine dresser knows what he's doing. I know I'm attached when I grow through continual connection. Stay connected. Ingress, egress. I'm abiding in him. He's abiding in me. Number three, I know I'm attached when I pray with informed confidence. His word is abiding in me. His character is informing what I'm praying. And I know I'm attached when I glorify by bearing fruit because it's not about me. It's ultimately about the Father. Well, every week we learn to live. We're going to do it a little bit differently this morning. I'm going to put it all on the screen all at once. And I've got three statements for you. We don't just want to learn to learn, but we want to learn to live that there might be application from this text. So here it is. Number one, attach to the vine. Number two, remain in the vine. And number three, produce from the vine. You see, it's all about the vine. It's all about Jesus. Jesus said, I am the vine. So it starts with attachment because you can't remain and you can't produce if you are not first attached. There is no other way to a relationship with God apart from Jesus. Are you attached to Jesus? Remember the book of Ezekiel? Those that were cast, those that were removed, those that were, there, that were cast into the fire were those that were faithless. They had turned away from, their allegiance had turned away from the one true God. Have you turned to the one true God? Have you put faith in the finished work of Jesus, not your own effort, not your spirituality, not your religiosity, not your attendance today, but put faith in Jesus? That is what attaches you to the vine. Are you attached? And once you're attached, remain. The word abide means to remain to unpack, to make a home right there, to live and to dwell in the very presence and in that relationship that Christ has given you. Stop trying to run to fruitless. Stop trying to manufacture stuff on your own. Remain in the vine. It's an act of attachment. 
Jesus is still your source of life. And then allow that remaining to produce. You don't produce from any other source other than the vine. Produce from the vine. And allow what is produced from your life to bring glory to the Father. God desires for us to be a part of his kingdom work this week. You and I cannot produce anything of eternal kingdom significance apart from Jesus, I need you. Jesus, flow in me. Jesus, flow through me. Jesus, flow to other people from my life. Let what is produced from your life be because of your attachment to the vine. Fruitful Christians are attached. Are you attached? Are you remaining? And are you producing? Can we pray together? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth and how that truth stabilizes us and points us towards Christ. I want to pray this morning that if there is somebody here and they have not yet attached to the vine, maybe they even feel like they've started attaching to church. Maybe they've started to attach to a Christian friend or maybe they've started to attach to the idea of Jesus, but they've not attached to Jesus, I pray that right now, by faith, they would believe. There is no work for them to do. The work's already done. I pray that they would believe by faith. And then for those of us who are in a relationship with you, not by our own merit, not by our own deeds, not by our own works, but because you have grafted us into the vine in your grace, I pray that we, as followers of Christ, would remain, that we would abide. And then, God, this week, may there be evidence of fruit that brings glory to the Father from a life that is remaining and abiding. We are so fully dependent on you. Do in us and then do through us what only you can do. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.